Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. He's been running these streets for years. And he's still here. And so is fear. Undisputed, never lost around. Bodies hit the ground. When the bad guy comes to town, American gangster, this man'll put a hurt on you. You'll be crying for your mama by the time he's through. You better believe that your life's in danger when you see the American gangster. Tiago Santos, Glover Teixeira, why are we here and what are we doing? Well, a lot, a lot, actually. And this is not a number one contenders bout. I would not try to sell you on the match in that regard, right? Particularly when you understand that Adesanya versus Jan Blahovich just got announced. And particularly after that, if you accept the idea that that fight got announced so that John Jones can come back and have something interesting to do. It delays it delays anybody from getting a, a meaningful title opportunity or being in that conversation for a period of time. Now, hold on. These are two former number one contenders. You know, the history of MMA and boxing as well is if you have two athletes who have both fought the same guy for the championship and both lost, they fight each other. And I've got more questions than I do answers in this fight, right? Neither one of these guys has the benefit of youth. They can't afford a loss to go stumbling down the rankings and then start over and come climbing up that mountain again. So, I mean, anytime there's a fight, there's some pressure on it. I think we like that as a fan. But when I talk about I have some questions, let's start at the beginning. The last time I saw Tiago Santos, which was 500 days ago this Saturday, okay, he was on a stretcher in a parking lot getting lifted into an ambulance. It was after the John Jones fight. And he had the knee, maybe even both knees. There was rumors of both knees, but like everything you could do bad to a knee had happened. MCL, ACL, and I think it was in both legs. It was something very bad. So you do have to understand when a guy's been out for 500 days, the number one thing that he will lose within his own mind that directly affects his confidence is his conditioning. It's a little different if a guy doesn't fight, but he's in training, right? The guy was suspended. Or the guy's a free agent, he doesn't have an organization, but he's in the room every day. That's, we know that didn't happen with Santos because we know about the knee injury, we know about the rehab. So it's just a question of how good of shape is he in. And I would like to see a guy be able to dip his toe in the hot water before he jumped in, right? A guy that's been out 500 days to be able to come back and have a fight, co-main event or less, because now it's a three-round contest. That's what I would like. That's not the way this works. Tiago Santos is a killer. He's the last guy to beat Jan Blahovich. And that fight with John Jones was a split decision. One licensed judge that night thought he beat Jones. I mean, this is a top guy. You can't just put him in somewhere. You've got to put him with other top guys, and that's where you have Glover. Now, Glover, I would put as far as an inspiration, and possibly this is to a guy over 40. But what Glover is able to do at 41 years old, being in main events, pushing the pace, and being a top five guy in the world, I think, it, I think it's uh, meaningful. I think that it's impressive. I think like if you're a new fan 
and you're looking for somebody to cheer for, somebody to get behind, Glover's a great place to start. I do go back to the question of, though, how solid is Santos today, right now? How solid is Santos? Because if I was to give you a breakdown of this fight, I couldn't just do it on paper by juxtaposing all the big names that Glover's beat versus all the great names that Santos beat. It wouldn't be that simple. It is a question of how good is that knee? Is Santos going to be light on his feet? Is he going to be hesitant to throw leg kicks? You guys will remember when Anderson had that very gruesome injury against Chris Weidman. But that was the big question in the rematch. Will Anderson throw a kick? Will he be hesitant? Will he be scared? It's one of his best weapons, not only to hurt you, but he uses those kicks to distract and set you up. Will he come out and use it? And I only bring in the Anderson example against Weidman because I know it's one that you'll remember. And it was very visible. And Santos's leg injuries were not visible. He pushed through the fight. Nobody knew what happened until he released it after the fact. So I just think there's a question there. Is he going to be gun-shy? Or is he going to go plant his feet and start trading, trading with Teixeira? You start playing that game, and that's the one I happen to think they are going to play. You start playing that game, now it's anybody's ballgame. It's not about who the better striker is or even the most powerful. It's just about who can land first. So I was talking to Ariel earlier today. We were doing Ariel and the Bad Guy, and we had a topic on Khabib. Is Khabib done? Is he really done? And Ariel knows Khabib on a personal level much more than I know Khabib. So I was very interested in Ariel's take. And Ariel's take didn't actually come from his personal knowledge. It came from an opinion of. Khabib has done everything he's ever wanted to do in this sport, except one thing, which was get to 30 and 0. And 30 and 0 was very important. Not only a very important number for Khabib, never, never been told why. A very important number for Khabib's father. I've never been told why. Could be as simple as a beautiful round number. You may remember Floyd Mayweather fighting Conor McGregor, but Floyd had 49 fights before that. Professionally, he wanted 50. And there was a reason. 50 either tied Sugar Ray Robinson or it surpassed Sugar Ray Robinson, but there there was some reason why 50 was a very important number specifically to Floyd. So I tie that in because Errol does make a good comment. I mean, look, fighters come back for one of three reasons, and it's generally in this order. Money. Mm, Khabib doesn't need the money. Fame, right? I mean, this is a drug, and, and there's nowhere you can get it. You cannot scratch that it's the same as walking out there in front of the world and competing. Not interesting to Khabib. Third, competition. Just a drive from a competitive spirit. And that one does resonate with Khabib. Very much so. And I do think there's a relevance. As arbitrary and silly as the number 30 and 0 versus 29 and 0 may be, that might sound arbitrary to your ears. It was a goal of Khabib's and is the only goal of Khabib's that he has not yet achieved. Is that enough to bring him back? Dana said he spoke to Khabib. Look, Dana knows fighters. He can look you in the face. He can see the sparkle in your eye. He can hear your voice over the phone and know, does this guy want to do this or not? Dana has come to the conclusion that, yes, he does want to do this, reminiscent of the fact that Dana didn't strip him. It's very interesting, particularly when you have a fight like Poirier and McGregor coming up that many people thought, well, let's just throw the belt out there, and then we got Chandler, and we got Ferguson, and let's just get on with it. 
It's very interesting when you look at the fact that Henry Cejudo, who just did most recent guy to do what Khabib did, and Henry was given nine days, nine days to change his mind, or we're moving on to Peter Yan and Aldo, and all of a sudden it looks as though Khabib is given more time. So let me ask you a question. How much time will he be given? Because if the rumor is true, and I believe it is true, that Chandler and Ferguson are going to find one another soon, And if the rumor is true, and I guess I should call it a rumor, because Dustin Poirier is throwing a little bit of cold water on the idea that he and Conor are fighting January 23rd. But if those are true, then Khabib's got a period of time. I mean, the top guys are all tied up. Who's next? Gaethje? Who's next after that? Oliveira? Oliveira's not getting that fight right now. He's not getting that fight for a period of time. So... If you agree with me and the top guys and the usual suspects are all tied up so you don't need Khabib anyway, then how much time does Khabib have to change his mind? And we know that Khabib is still in the pool, in the USADA pool, which for me is the final nail in the coffin of the idea of retirement. If a guy removes himself from the pool, it's just a pain in the ass to get back in. It's a pain in the ass to, I want to say it's four months. If you leave the pool, I want to say it's four months to get back in. I could be wrong and it's two months, but it, it, there's just steps you have to do, right? Rumble Johnson's going through it now. Rumble Johnson came back a while ago, but he's still in the pool. And he's got to clear. I think it's four months. He has to clear it. And USADA has a reason for that. Like, if you're a brand new fighter, you sign today. You could go fight Saturday. You could, per the USADA rules. But if you're an active fighter and you leave, I think it's four months. It's a longer period of time. The reason is USADA doesn't want you to go on a, on a steroid holiday. USADA term, steroid holiday. And you can see where that makes sense. Like, why would a guy leave and then all of a sudden just come right back? Right? I'm done. Oh, hey, guess what? I'm back. Well, you can see where USADA is going to go. I don't, I don't think so. If you're truly done and you're going to retire, retire. But if you're truly coming back, we're going we're gonna to check you for a period of time. I mean, it, it just makes good sense. I'm just sharing with you guys why for me... That's the relevant measure. It's not the stripping. It's definitely not the statement on the microphone, but those are the only things you have. For me, there's a third thing that people don't see, which is the removal of the pool, which Khabib hasn't done. So in light of the fact that the top four guys, at least in theory, Chandler, Ferguson, Connor, Khabib, uh, Connor, Poirier, are all tied up, So there's no title for Khabib to come out and defend for a period of time. How much time does Khabib have? So it appears that I'm a bit of a sucker, okay? John Jones had a video, and I made a video about his video, brought it to you guys, where he had a bit of a prowler outside, and then John comes running out with a shotgun. And... If you go look at that thing, it's very fugazi. I mean, this thing looks set up. It looks very, very set up. And I didn't catch it at first. I thought it was very real. There was an establishing shot. It was dark at night. This guy's looming around. Garage door open up. John Jones comes busting out. But if you go back and look at it, man, there's a few things that are afoot here. First off, just running straight while holding a shotgun was very bizarre. Getting out of a garage door without uh, alarming the burglar. Is very bizarre. Right, I mean, garage doors make noise. The guy would have been gone. Just the whole thing was very bizarre. But then John 
captioned it on Instagram to tell us what happened when they went out of scene, which was that he caught the guy in his car and like tapped on the driver's door with the shotgun barrel. Which John, who is clearly gaining ground on this guy, so when the guy got to a car, then most thieves don't show up, right? I mean, if the guy's like looking to to run your car and run the glove box a little bit, he kind of leaves on foot in most situations. It doesn't say he can't have a car, but how did the guy get to said car? And then when he got all the way to the car and shut the door, and then John had to surprise him with a tap on the window, what did the guy know John was there? Oh, and then above everything else, there was no police report. So apparently this never happened. But it does make you wonder, then why would you say that it happened? And I'm all for a good ruse. I don't have a tremendous problem with it. Did it come out on Halloween and we missed that? People were showing scary scenes and this was John's scary theme? Because if so, I got to tell you that I'm tipping my hat to him. It looked like a pretty scary scene and he got me. I mean, in all fairness, I mean, it was the whole thing was pretty interesting. But what was the point of that? What was the point of staging a scene on surveillance video where your cars are getting looked at, but they never actually get damaged, and you bust out of a garage holding a shotgun on a camera that's so fuzzy, nobody really knows if it's you or if it's not you. We just trust that it's you because you said it was you, and you put it out on your social media. I mean, what was the point of it? What level of attention seeker or what story were we attempting to tell? Or... Did I have it right the first time and I'm being naive this time? And it did happen. And we were just supposed to believe that John, who was gaining ground on this guy, the guy got to a car that was parked nearby and he walked in on foot, but apparently he didn't have to. He had a car. Okay, fine. People do weird things all the time. But where would John need to like get his attention by doing the tap on the windshield with the gun? And wouldn't that prompt the guy to start the car and get the hell out of there, not just stop? And why was there no police report? I mean, there's a lot of questions, right? And this wouldn't be the first time that John staged. Remember when John went down, he was like, went down to break up looters that were somewhere in Albuquerque, but he took the camera with him, had to hold the camera while I do this, and then let's go edit it and put it on my social media. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that he staged something for a little bit of fun. I got no problem with the whole thing. Hold on, I'm being told something off camera. What do you got? It also wouldn't be the first time that someone tapped on the window of a car and blew somebody's head off. Keep that in mind. Back to you. I got a call from one of my wrestlers, Sean Harmon. And Sean will go down as the greatest wrestler ever from Westland High School. And now he's off on the next chapter of his life, Division I Wrestling out at Missouri. Anyway, he called. We were touching base. And he, he is training. And Dom Bradley is one of his coaches. And he said, hey. You said that Don Bradley is the most underappreciated world champion in American wrestling history. He goes, tell me that story. Why do you say that? So here's what happened to Don Bradley. Now, for anybody that doesn't follow amateur wrestling, Don Bradley is one of the top heavyweights in the country. He's a world champion. He was an NCAA finalist. Rough guy. But Don Bradley, to go back at the time of this story, why I say this, was a freshman his freshman year at Missouri. So Don Bradley was the backup, the JV, didn't make the team. Well, the other piece of the story that gets left out is the guy who did make the team, Mark Ellis, won the NCAA championship. Now, if you win the NCAA championship, you're actually winning a world championship. The other side of the coin is we're the only country in the world 
that does what's known as collegiate wrestling. We're the only country that follows that rule set. But if you win that tournament, even by default, you're now the best in the world at that. Very similar to what the NBA does, right? They call themselves the National Basketball Association. But if you win that, the media will call you the world champion or the Super Bowl. We'll call themselves the National Football League, but the media will call them world champions. Okay, great. The NCAA champion is the world collegiate wrestling champion. So Dom is a backup guy to the guy who wins the World Collegiate Championship. So when Dom goes to the junior trials and makes the team, he's quickly dismissed. Quickly dismissed as, oh, the JV guy made the team. It must not have been a hard world trials. So then he gets to the World Championship and he finds himself in the finals. Next thing you know, five minutes, six minutes later, he finds himself the world champion. So people were quick to dismiss, oh, the backup guy won the Worlds. It must have been an easy world. Could you even imagine saying something so stupid? It was an easy world championship? Right. So this is what happened to him. And I will tell you, anybody else that wins the Worlds, whatever they've done is forgotten. They were a state champion in high school. It'll never be mentioned again. You're an NCAA All-American finalist multiple time. It's never mentioned again. You're only known as the world champion. That never happened to Dom. People don't ever talk about it. They act like it didn't happen, as a matter of fact. I've never seen anything like it in American wrestling history. That is why I say Dom Bradley is the most disrespected world champion. Answering Sean's question. Sean, you asked me a question. There's your answer. We've got a very different kind of sponsor for this episode. The Jordan Harbinger Show, a podcast you should definitely check out since you're a fan of high-quality, fascinating podcasts hosted by interesting people. The show covers such a wide range of topics through weekly interviews and heavy-hitting guests, and there are a ton of episodes. You'll find something interesting since you're a fan of this show. I recommend our listeners to check out Jordan's Conversations with Danny Trejo and Neil Brennan. There is an episode for everyone, no matter what you are into. The show covers stories like how a professional art forger somehow made millions of dollars while being chased by the FBI and the Mafia. The podcast covers a lot. But one constant is his ability to pull useful pieces of advice from his guests. I promise you, you'll find something useful that you can apply to your own life. Whether that's an actionable routine change that boosts your productivity. Or just a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. We really enjoy the show and we think you will as well. Search for the Jordan Harbinger Show. That's Harbinger, H-A-R-B-I-N-G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Dustin Poirier came out and he said, and he tagged Dana White, this was a tweet, and said, quit playing games, send the correct contract. What does that mean? Genuine question. If anybody's got an answer, tell me. I want to hear because it's the word correct. That threw me off, right? If the word correct wasn't in there, well, we know what it says. Dana White, quit playing games, send the contract. Okay, that sounds like a fax machine issue. That sounds like a secretarial issue. An administrator overlooked. Somebody was busy. He said the correct contract. So what was wrong with the contract? Was the date wrong? Was the name wrong? 
or was the amount wrong, right? And that's the first place my mind went. I mean, I just defaulted right to the dollar amount. This wasn't what was agreed upon, or this isn't what he wanted. I don't know. That, but that doesn't make me right. I don't know. And that match, I mean, we're getting closer to it, and it seems like that's all but done. I mean, look, Dana said they're going to fight, but it wasn't as simple as that. Dana even said, I remember he was on ESPN, he talked all about this. He said, we gave Connor his own date. Now, that's very similar to what they had done a year prior, this year, for Connor versus Cowboy. There was no show scheduled in January. Connor comes out of nowhere, says, I'm going to get my license, and I, I want to fight. They go into scramble mode, make a fight. Conor Mania was real. I want to say it did like the fourth biggest gate in MMA history. First three all held by Conor McGregor. I mean, it was a very real thing and it worked out. But when Dana comes out and adds to the story, we're going to give him his own date. Well, now you kind of got to use him, right? It's a little bit different. You got a show schedule. I mean, we see that all the time. We've seen that as recently as, as this week. We'll see it within the next week. Uh, some card somewhere, somebody moves. Okay, shuffle the deck. Just the industry. It's the way that it goes. When you pick a date, exclusively for a guy, in this case, Conor McGregor, who exclusively wants and has agreed to fight Dustin Poirier. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So I don't know, I don't know what the word correct means. It sounds as though Dana wants that match, is going to do that match, exemplified by the fact that he added a date just for the match. So what part of the contract was wrong? I'm just curious. I, I, am I making something out of nothing, uh, maybe a little bit, but it was a tweet that went out to the world in 160 characters or less, and I don't know what it means. I don't know what could be incorrect. And there, it, it's so meaningful that that fight happens. It really is. Connor versus Poirier, it's a very meaningful fight for the division, particularly in fact of where is Khabib going to go? Are we to take Khabib at his last word, which was, I'm done? Yes, I think so. My answer to that is yes, I, I believe so. Until we have a different word from Khabib, who has every right to change his mind. Until we have a different word from Khabib, we have to go under that. Then you have Chandler and Ferguson floating around, both looking for something to do in a timely fashion. It would seem as though in a perfect world, we would get both of those fights on the same night. I'm predicting for you that we do. But if we do and we jam up the top four guys in the division, Justin Gaethje going to be removed from the conversation just for a moment. Charles Oliveira not in the conversation, right or wrong, just for the moment. It would seem as though we've got to get a little bit of clarity here. If Dustin's not fighting Connor in January, and we know that a January date has been selected to have Connor on it, and no part of that story has changed, then who in the hell is fighting Connor? There's not a whole lot of options out there. Unless we're going to go to Ferguson or we're going to go to Chandler, but then we break that fight up. I'm only suggesting for you, what does correct mean? Right, he added one word. He added one word, but it has my mind going in 20 different directions. And it does seem as though we would need a level of clarity because there also is the question of Khabib. And to come back to the four players that I just listed for you who are the top guys and who are the only guys who are the usual suspects to take on Khabib, okay, they have to go figure out their business before you can even bring Khabib back into it. I mean, let's say Khabib had never done that post-fight interview and never put his gloves down and never said, I'm walking away. Let's say that didn't happen. Okay, fine. Khabib still is not going to be booked for a future opponent until some arrangement of those four names 
Ferguson, Chandler, McGregor, Poirier figure out their business. There would be nothing scheduled or offered or booked or looked at for Khabib until those four figure out their business. So the only question that we really have is, are we going to take Khabib's last statement? Are we going to put a belt somewhere, throw it on one of those fights or mini tournament, if you will, using a Chandler term, but I like the term, got the right four guys, put them on the same card, consider a semifinal, they draw into each other. That's where the belt goes. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But I will tell you the UFC has a history of not liking, not knowing. They do not wait. The very first thing they did when Cejudo walked away from that title is they booked a title match in that division. They don't like to have loose ends. Would somebody tell me what the hell Poirier meant when he said correct? Adesanya moving up to Blahovich has gotten a little bit more interesting. Okay. Now, the reason we ended up here in the first place is because Robert Whitaker had made a comment of, I'm not stoked to fight him again. Robert Whitaker has come out and corrected that and said, you took five words out of an interview I did that had 500 words, and therefore you're taking it out of context. I was sharing with you and paying some due to the champion of just how good he is. Make no mistake whether I'm excited about it or not, whether I'm stoked or not, I want that fight. To prove my point, I'll go up to 205 to fight him. I want to right that wrong. I want to fight him. So, okay, great. Whitaker, very sorry this happened. Sorry there was a misunderstanding, but I have to tell that part of the story because that is how we got here. You then have Costa largely saying the same thing of, look, the only guy I want to fight is Adesanya. So if I got to go to 205, I'm sharing this with you because what do you do with Adesanya's 85-pound belt, and when do you do it? If Adesanya is to go up to 205 pounds, to take on Blahovich, of which Adesanya, as I sit here today, is a two-and-a-half-to-one favorite, and if we're moving him there for the longer-term play of bringing Jones back and having the Jones-Adesanya super fight, biggest fight the entire industry can make right now. There is no bigger fight. In the absence of the St. Pierre versus Khabib dream, that is the biggest fight the sport can make. So if that is what we're doing, then we do understand and know that at some point, Adesanya will be stripped. However, if we strip Adesanya now, you lose your poster. I mean, you lose your marketing. You, it's no longer champ champ. It's just Adesanya going up against the champ. How important is that? I don't know. I can only tell you history. Historically speaking, when you have an opportunity to do champ champ, you do do it champ champ. You strip the guy after the fact. I mean, they even did that to Conor McGregor at 145 pounds. I bring Conor in. He's the first guy to do it. I bring Conor in. So when you look at that, the only person that has not had that happen to him was Amanda Nunes. But guys, that's totally different. That's apples to oranges. Right, Just in the bodies, just in the parity, just in the divisions, just in the depth alone. And I'm not taking a knock at the women and saying there's not a lot of good qualified women. Not, I'm saying there's not a lot in the field. So for her to cover the spread and go up and down, okay, there's, it's, it's not the same. So at what point do you take Adesanya's belt? I'll answer the question. I'm telling you the answer now. Not until after he's done with Blahovich. And the other side of the coin, yes, in all fairness, the odds makers could have it wrong. 
You may not think of Blahovich as a star. Make no mistake, Blahovich will knock your freaking lights out. He's the world champion for a reason. He's the best in the world, in the weight class. Izzy is just now in the weight class too. So now those boys have to figure it out. But you see why this is done after the fact. It isn't done after the fact just to feather the nest for the fall should Adesanya come up short so that he could slide back down, be an 85-pounder, say, hey, bit off, bit off a little bit more than I could chew there. It's not just for that. You would also lose a lot of your hype and your buildup. You would lose an opportunity to do a champion versus champion if you do it early. They certainly can. I'm just predicting for you that they won't, and I'm sharing with you why. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work, but you want to know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around the home. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. Oh, Shevchenko, man. Every time Shevchenko mouth opens or she can piece, I like her more. I really do. Shevchenko is very, very interesting to me. And now today she has come out and said, oh, you know, the one that makes the most sense is me versus Amanda. Now, I could break down and do a whole diatribe on the word sense. It actually doesn't make sense. doesn't make sense because you guys aren't even in the same division. For example, set that word aside. I love everything else that she said. Who the hell wants to fight Amanda? If you've fought Amanda twice, which the bullet has, you came up short twice, which the bullet has, and you've now found your own division of which didn't exist at the time that you took on Amanda fight A or fight B, I'd say you got everything figured out. Stay right where you are. Let the world draw the conclusion that Amanda was just a little bit too big. Enjoy your title reign, Shevchenko. Well, no, not how she wants to do it. She wants back in there with Amanda. Matter of fact, she said, I have not lost to her twice. I lost to her once. That was the first fight. The second fight, I beat her. That is her opinion. She is attempting to say that the judges got it wrong. I'm all in. I got no problem with any of that. And not to mention, between the two fights, they both went the distance, which is very relevant. Very few people can say they went the distance with Amanda, and even the ones who did did not so much as, uh, so much as win a round. They got skunked 5-0. They just were able to hang in there, moral victory, of which it is. In all fairness, that is a victory. <laughs> that, is a, that is an achievement. That's not the deal with the Bullet. Bullet did win rounds. That's official. Bullet thinks she should have won more rounds than she did win. She thinks that she won the second fight. You got my interest. The bullet is willing to walk away from a world championship to pursue another championship because the most feared lady in combat, boxing or MMA, any way you want to do it, amateur wrestling, judo, you go find me an event of combat. Nobody's more feared than Amanda. Bullet knows what she's getting into. She's already got into it twice and she's saying, put me in there a third time. Come on. Come on. Shevchenko. Respect. So, guys, it looks to me like Conor McGregor is going backwards, and I don't know why. I'm genuinely just wondering why. Give you an example. He's getting ready to fight Poirier, a fight that Poirier has wanted for a meaningful amount of time. Great, Conor's going to give it to him. Cool move. But he's also saying, Conor, this is, that he would like to fight Max Holloway. And he's also saying he would like to do the trilogy with Nate Diaz. 
And it just seems as though for whatever reason, he's going back. Now, a lot of athletes do that. You could say that Dustin's doing that, that Max would like to do that. But the athletes that want to go back are trying to right a wrong. Conor McGregor won those contests. I just don't know that I've ever seen it before, particularly from a top guy. I don't know that I've ever seen a top guy actively trying to pursue old opponents that he beat. I just don't know that I've seen it. It would seem as though he would want to go forward. The Poirier fight, particularly if it was for a championship, I mean, you could see how we would get here. The mere fact that Connor likes Dustin Poirier and wants to give him this opportunity, or maybe there's a little bit more where Connor thought, you know, that wasn't all that hard of a night for me, and I don't think it's going to be any harder. Whatever the reason is, you're going to do some rematches every now and then. But to be going into a rematch, talking about doing yet another rematch, and parlaying that into a third rematch, just seems as though you'd want some fresh blood. You've got Chandler in there all of a sudden. Gaethje's floating around. Tony Ferg's been calling him out for years. I mean, there's some really big matches that are also very meaningful and exciting and would offer some new parity. And not for us fans, man. Conor is a real thing. We're coming along, right? Done, sold, in. I'm talking about from Conor's perspective. I just don't know that I've ever seen this. And it surprises me a little bit. What piece of psychology am I missing here? Or have I just hit it on the head? That this isn't about giving guys an opportunity or trying to make a big and meaningful fight. Connor liked something he felt, thinks this is an easy night out. Man, I support that theory. You ever run into an athlete that's trying to sound like a real tough guy? Talk about his opponent coming up. He says, I want him at his best. I hope he's at his best. That's the one I want to beat. What a dumb thing to say. Give me the worst guy in the biggest arena for the largest paycheck. That's the guy I want to fight. Floyd Mayweather approach 101. The worst guy that we can sell to the audience for the biggest paycheck. That is who I want to fight. And sometimes that's going to be a really hard guy. Every now and then you got to step in there with Sugar Shannon. Every now and then you got to draw De La Hoya out of the hat. But uh, the rest of the time, you're fighting Fernando Vargas's of the world. I mean, that's the way this game is played. So I wouldn't have a big problem if Connor was doing it, but I am a little bit surprised from a competitive standpoint. I mean, in all fairness, Max Holloway is a 45-pounder. I understand that Max would move up for the fight, but I'm, I'm, that's not what we're discussing. I'm discussing Connor pursuing fights with guys he's already beaten. I don't know that I've seen anything quite like that. By the way, I was asked a fan question. I want you guys to hear this and I want to respond. Hey, Uncle Chael, big fan. I just wanted to know what's your opinion on Kimbo's Backyard and Street Beefs, uh, you know, underground fighting leagues. All right. You know, for some reason, and I'm not a prude, but those things turn me off. They really do. I, I always watch them. I will privately in, enjoy them. Okay. There, there's two visual experiences. One is called a lean back and one is called a lean in. And you're basically talking about the screen. A lean back experience would be the Super Bowl. You sit back away from the TV. You've got your friends over. You're sitting back. A lean in is the experience I have when I'm watching some of those backyard and underground fights. I don't want people to know I'm watching it, right? I'm leaning in. I'm looking. I don't want to. I'm, I'm covering the screen a little bit because there's something about it, man. It, it's a crime. It's a crime happening in front of my eyes. These guys are street fighting. If the police pull up, they get put in handcuffs. And then somewhere within me, 
I celebrate the victor. I get it. I fully get, but I don't want people to know that I do. Right? I mean, there's something about if you're going to go into a level of brutality that is this sport, there's an honor in having it sanctioned in agreeing to rules and a time and a weight class and having cornermen there with towels that they will throw in if their athlete is not in a good position. There's something honorable about that. And those backyard things, man, they make me nervous. And I've never seen one go awry. I mean, it seems as though the guys that go into those backyard fights do have a level of code that they fall. I just haven't seen where a guy starts eye gouging, starts stomping on a guy when he's down. But if I did ever say, I would be disgusted. Reminds me of some kind of a L.A. gang riot. I want to see that. I want to see a sport. So when you ask me about some of those Kimbo things, yeah, I've watched them all. And if one popped up today, I'd go watch that too. I watched Kimbo and, and Gannon. I watched Masvidal's backyard stuff. I mean, there was a level of time when this was the MMA that you could get. But that's not what we wanted. We wanted to be regulated. So I don't mean to be the cold water, right? I'm being the skunk at the guard party. I get it, but that's my response, man. I don't love that stuff. If you want to do that, get a license, do it the right way. Guys, you want to know a match? You want to know a match I want to see? I want to see Greg Hardy versus Curtis Blades. Now, you can dismiss Greg Hardy as much as you want. I'm sharing with you, and you will have to admit back to me, it's getting harder and harder to do. Greg brings in a lot of attributes. First off, he's excited to be there. I mean, he likes what he's doing. And over a period of time, for all of the athletes, like anything else in life, no matter how much you want to do something or you enjoyed it at one point, it becomes a job. It's just not there for Hardy. I also did not realize until Hardy's last fight just how young he is. I thought he was in the league for, I thought he did a decade in the league. They did a couple of seasons. I didn't realize this. I didn't know this guy was so young. Then he's huge. And not for nothing, but we have seen a lot of really big guys fail in combat, where we find out it's not a size advantage, it's a disadvantage. They're just too big to move, or they get tired, or they're slow. That's just not the thing with Hardy. He's built the right way. He's got enough height to carry that weight. He's a very strong guy. Okay, I'm just pointing out some of his attributes. Those are very visible and obvious for you. One that's just as visible and obvious if you take the time to see it. It's not you have to see it to believe it. You have to believe it to see it in this situation, which is he's getting flat better. The leaps that he's making between fights, I can't tell you another athlete that's doing it so visibly. Some of that is because he came in very raw. I understand that. Some of it, he was a piece of coal that had to withstand some pressures of time. I, I concede that back to you. But watching his improvements, you can only make those improvements one way, guys. That's being in the gym, buckled down, focused, and still engaged, curious, and interested, and willing to go out and try new things. I mean, every time Hardy fights, he's looking better and better. I'm just bringing that to you. Now, before you go, Curtis Blades, number three guy in the world, Chael, what the hell are you trying to do to him? What, what am I trying to do to him? What's he trying to do to himself? The hell's a football player with no experience coming over to MMA for? Well, let's answer the question, because he's a competitor, and he wants to be the best in the world. Greg Hardy is not here for a paycheck. He wants to be the best guy. He is not going to back down because you would throw him in there with a Curtis Blades. He will be excited about that. If you're going to eliminate Greg Hardy, I'm speaking for Greg, but I've spoke to Greg before. I'll tell you right now, if you're going to eliminate Greg Hardy from this sport, do it now. You take me out to pasture, do it right now. Let's get this over with. So I'm just sharing with you, okay? 
And you guys shouldn't be the one pushing this back. If you're, if you're all anti-Greg Hardy and you think that it's an easy matchup for Curtis, then you should be happy about it. You should be giving me what I want. Oh, I don't like Greg Hardy. Oh, Curtis Blades will kick his ass. Okay, great. Then it sounds like we're saying the same thing. Let's see the fight. And in Curtis's standpoint, in all fairness, look, Curtis does deserve top guys. If you can't get a top guy, but you can get top attention, that's exactly what he would get. That, that's an interesting match. That really is an interesting match. And I don't know that I would fully concede that Curtis would just go take him down, it would be over. Hardy's very hard to take down. And he's not the greatest wrestler. It's from an athletic standpoint. He's got them big, strong hips, and he knows how to use them. He knows how to bump in. He knows how to pull guys up. He knows how to dig those underhooks. He can use his size to his advantage. It's an interesting match. It really is an interesting match. Range and power goes to both guys. Both guys are long and they're lanky. Curtis will touch you a little more. Hardy will look in and look to hurt you a little bit more. Right? The touch business versus the hurt business. It's a fun fight. I'm trying to sell you on the idea because I feel as though you're going to push back on me because of the ranking discrepancy. But being brought up slowly into the ranking, that's the way you do the sport. I get it. I'm just sharing with you. That's not how Hardy wants to do it. Curtis Blades is a straight-up competitor. I mean, he showed us that by not only fighting Francis and Gano, losing to Francis and begging for the opportunity to do it again, getting said opportunity, losing to Francis, and asking to go do it a third time. I feel like you guys give Curtis Blades a bad rap, by the way. I really do. I don't know what Curtis ever did to anybody, but he did something. Somewhere, right? Think that went over. I think I'm onto something here, but I think that because I'm seeing these gains in Greg Hardy. If you were to ask me right now, well, who wins that fight? I know who the better fighter. It's Curtis Blades. I know who should be the better fighter. It's Curtis Blades. Greg Hardy's in the weight room and on the gridiron. That's how he spent his life until three years ago. Curtis Blades was in a wrestling room, won a national championship in college. I mean, that's a form of combat. Also helps with your lactic acids and getting your conditionings up. It helps with a lot of things that cover and carry over to MMA. I get it that Curtis is better. I get it that he's more experienced. Greg Hardy is making leaps in between fights, so you don't actually know until the night comes. You can't look at the last Greg Hardy you saw, which, by the way, looked pretty good. In all fairness, he looked pretty good. You can't look at the one before that, which, by the way, looked pretty good. And assume that's who would get in there with Curtis. The only thing we know about Greg Hardy, as good as he might have looked in his last fight, is he's going to look better in the following one. Does that change the outcome? Does it keep the outcome the same? That's between those boys. That's between those boys, the judges, the unified rules, and the referee. What I'm sharing for you is just the skill. Greg Hardy's skills are jumping every time he fights. Dean Thomas is doing a fantastic job with him. And Greg Hardy's doing a great job of listening. He's listening. You can't get better. You can't get these kind of skills. You cannot grow this much just by competing a few times a year. That's done in the practice room. I want to see that match. Help me out, guys. Do me a favor. Let's get Hardy and Blades together. Okay, Paulo Costa is. Dealing with an injury, I want to say it's his shoulder or it's that bicep, something with his arm, something that had been bothering him is is still bothering him. So he was talking about that in relation to his fight with Adesanya, and he said, man, I should have waited. I rushed this thing. So he then was talking about, hold that thought, because it was within this same interview, that he then says a fight between himself 
and Robert Whitaker is in the works. Boom, that got my attention real fast. I would love to see that match. And in that same interview, he said that Whitaker didn't seem real keen on the idea. Whitaker's in a little bit of a tough spot. Okay, try to put yourself in Robert Whitaker's shoes and what he's been through just as of late. Okay, he's coming off all sorts of injuries, none were which is his fault. You guys remember the night he was supposed to fight Gastelum in his home country? I mean, he's excited, he's trained, he's ready. He ends up having to have an ambulance rush him to the hospital, like an intestinal problem. It was a big deal. So he deals with all of this. He stays the champion. He comes back. He fights in the largest attendance of all time, 57,000 people. Now, whether that went his way or not, that is an experience that is once in a lifetime. He comes off the heels of that into a pandemic. He's fighting in front of nobody, zero people, okay? Finds a way to win. Comes back, does it again, finds a way to win. But you're doing that if you're Whitaker to return to your spot. And it's not just to a championship fight or even the championship. It's back to that once-in-a-lifetime moment. You're trying to hit a grand slam. Once you hit one grand slam, now you know how excited, you know that feel. All you want to do is hit grand slams. The other side of the coin is you're going to be in the majors if all you hit is doubles. You go to bat and every time, but you crack the ball and you get to second base, they will put you in the Hall of Fame. You will make millions of dollars, but it's not what a guy wants. Once a guy has that grand slam, he wants another grand slam. Well, those just don't come along, right? I mean, think about it from a promoter's perspective real fast, because you can juxtapose the promoter's perspective with the athlete perspective, in this case, Robert Whitaker. If you are the promoter, Do you have an obligation to the integrity of the sport to follow the rankings as many times as you can? Or do you have an obligation as a promoter who is also a businessman to put on the biggest fights as often as you can? Right? Or do you want to just keep on hitting doubles all year long and then once or twice a year you hit a grand slam and that is your business? I mean, do you see the problem? I can remember when Conor McGregor fought Floyd Mayweather and it was the the post-fight press conference. And Dana spoke at it. And Dana said, look, we had to take this opportunity for Connor. And no, this isn't our new business model. No, we are not going to take our top MMA guys and put them in with the top boxers. This was a one-time thing. But it's a one-time thing because it came up organically. And there's only a couple times in your entire career where a mega fight like this can happen. I could send a champion to take on boxing's champion, but not have this kind of an event. I remember Dana saying these words. It's not just the idea of an MMA guy versus a boxer. That is a misconception. It needed to specifically be Connor against specifically Floyd, promoted in a very specific way, and held in a specific location, Las Vegas. But there was a lot to learn in that. Like the way Dana's brain works, that was real simple. There's a lot to learn in that. You could write an entire chapter of a book that every promoter should read because Dana's right. You can't go out and just look for these grand slams. And I share that with you because Robert Whitaker, I want him to get his grand slam. I really like Robert Whitaker on a personal level, but I respect him so tremendously on an athletic level. And I really respect what he has been through in the last year, the last 18 months, 57,000 live people. Then you go, no championship on the line because you're not bringing it in front of nobody. And he passed the test. Walked out there, did it again, passed the test a second time. 
What do you do with Robert Whitaker? Where does he want to go? Yeah, perhaps he doesn't want to fight Paulo. He wants to fight for championships. There's not a championship to fight for right now. There's just not. Adesanya is left, and he has not been stripped. I haven't heard any talks of an interim championship. Even if it was an interim championship, I don't know that that scratches the itch of a former champion like Whitaker. I don't know that it doesn't, but I don't know that it does. I just offer for you, he's not going to get the Grand Slam. And in life, when you can't get what you want, you go get the next best thing. It's just the way that it works. You're in a tournament, you're trying to win it. You lose, you got to come through the backside and try to get third. You lose again, you got to try to get fifth. You try to get the next best thing. Adesanya hit a grand slam a couple times in his career, three times in his career, through the ultimate fighter, the world championship, and a world record attendance. He can do real well hitting doubles, and the next fight might be a double. It's a good way to go. Makes sense, right? Makes sense as you guys hear this, but it's a hard spot for Whitaker. I think that we need to have a little patience and show a little bit of respect to the former champion. All right, guys, I got to get over to the weigh-ins. Enjoy your weekend and make sure you're back here on Wednesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen and you are welcome. Thanks for listening to Your Welcome with Chael Sonnen. Download new episodes every week at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. Welcome to the MIP. Yeah! <laughs> the Michael Irvin Podcast. You knew this was coming. Guess who? Let me start this thing off. Join me every week for the Michael Irvin Podcast. We'll give you the full MIP experience. I'm talking everything from football to fashion. I will be chopping it up with playmakers, headline makers, and I am throwing haymakers. I'm the MVP of the MIP. Don't miss it. Download new episodes of the MIP, the Michael Irvin Podcast, every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, and Spotify.